Welcome to the Barry Trammell Show. Bob Kendrick is president of the Negro League's Baseball Museum in Kansas City and is one of the leading caretakers of baseball history in America, promoting not just the Negro League's past, but that history's value in going forward in both baseball and American society. Kendrick has overseen the museum's success story as becoming a beacon in Major League Baseball culture. Bob Kendrick is headed to Oklahoma City for special events February 28 and 29, and he joins us today. But first, we want to say thanks to these sponsors for supporting the Barry Trammell Show. The Oklahoma Ford Dealers Association. Drive you into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. Also, MidFirst Bank. Next Gen Roofing. The National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, 988 Oklahoma's Mental Health Lifeline, and Two Fellas Moving. I like to help people move, but I'm the oddball. Nobody really wants to help you move, but we know two fellas that love moving. Two Fellas Moving Company offers free, no-strings quotes for your move. With more than 20 years' experience, they've pretty much moved it all. And their services don't end at moving need to do some remodeling or spring cleaning, they have you covered with dumpster rentals and junk haul services. Remember, quotes are free and there are no strings attached. If you're moving in Oklahoma, make sure to call the fellas. And we welcome in Bob Kendrick, known Bob for several years. We've had uh, several great uh, meetings, always enjoy talking baseball history and the Negro Leagues Museum with Bob Kendrick. Bob, welcome to the show. Barry, man, it is such a pleasure. Number one, to see you again, to catch up with you, and thanks for having me on the show. You bet. I wore one of my Negro Leagues jerseys for you. <laughs> you know, I think last time we met, uh, we had lunch together in Kansas City. It was a surprise setup by a mutual friend. I didn't know you were coming. That morning in my Kansas City hotel room, I was torn between whether to wear my sport coat to go straight to the basketball game for the Big 12 tournament or yep. throw on my Negro Leagues jersey. I went with the sport coat, and lo and behold, there at lunch was Bob Kendrick. I said, what an opportunity wasted. I wasn't going to waste it today. I went with the Baltimore Black Sox, 1923-1933 today. Not too many people on earth can uh, know a lot about that, but I'm, I'm chatting with one who does. So uh, this is going to be a treat. Bob, you're coming to Oklahoma City uh, February 28-29 for the Rookie League foundation sponsored by the Oklahoma City Baseball Club, which is a, a program designed to uh, further uh, baseball participation among youth in the inner city. Why are you coming and why is this such an important topic for you? Well, number one, the folks there were kind enough to extend an invitation for me to come and share a little bit of insight about the history of the Negro Leagues at their fundraising event. And this is really important because, Barry, as much as the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is here to preserve and celebrate a, an important part of baseball and American history, we also are vested in wanting to help grow our game and create opportunities for those, particularly those in underserved populations, urban kids in particular, to have an opportunity to have access to this sport. And we do believe that the history plays a pivotal role. You know, as young kids, as young urban kids walk into this museum, they see people who look just like them. 
who played this game as well as anyone ever played the game. But not only, Barry, did they play the game, they owned teams. And they were managers, and they were coaches, traveling secretaries, team physicians. They fulfilled every role that could be filled in the business of the game of baseball. And so representation does indeed matter. You have to see yourself to believe that you can do it. And I think that is why Major League Baseball and the Players Association have really embraced the museum, understanding that the history creates a pathway for more kids to become interested in our sport. And then we've got to figure out these other things relative to bridging the economic gap that has created a bit of a schism between the community and, and our game. And, and those are things that we're all collaborating on. And that's why this event is so important to me. And, and again, any opportunity that I get to talk Negro Leagues history is a welcome opportunity. And believe it or not, it will be my first trip to OK City. Oh, first really? Time. First time. Oh, my goodness. Well, I trust and pray that you will enjoy it. I think you will. Uh, we got a we got a beautiful ballpark that does a great job with with history. Um, and it's, and the Rookie League Foundation is is just a wonderful concept and a wonderful cause. What? How are the numbers of urban kids, inner city kids, particularly black kids, but but not just black? But I mean, it, baseball in the last twenty thirty years has increasingly become a suburban sport. Yes. And are we starting to? to create more opportunities for the inner city kids that we may are. not have the resources? We, we, we really are. And Barry, I think programs like the Rookie League, what you're seeing there, League 42 in Wichita, which of course sadly got a lot of right. publicity around the Jackie Robinson statue being stolen, but a silver lining came out of that heinous uh, situation the work that Major League Baseball and the Players Association are doing with various camps and opportunities, these things are starting to pay dividends. And we're getting more and more kids the opportunity to play. And I think it's just a matter of time before we see the pendulum shift the other way. And as I talk oftentimes about this subject matter, the one thing that we are not in this society is patient. We, yep. we don't have a lot of patience. You know, we live in what I call kind of a microwave society. We want everything to happen instantly. And, and this change didn't happen overnight. And the fix won't happen overnight. We've just got to stay the course. But I'm headed down to Vero Beach, where yep. the Andre Dawson Classic and HBCU showcase will be held. And I've gone down to Vero Beach. Of course, Vero Beach, as you well know, was home to Dodger Town, right. where Branch Rickey essentially built a safe haven primarily for his African-American ballplayers who were training, spring training down in Florida because he couldn't turn them loose to walk the streets there in Florida. It was just too unsafe for them. And he built Dodger Town and Major League Baseball purchased it and renovated it. And man, every time I walk, onto that campus, and as a steward of the story, you realize that Jackie Robinson, Junior Gilliam, Don Newcomb, Joe Black, they all stayed on that campus. And to see kids playing in that spirit is something that really warms my heart. 
And I can tell you now, there is a pipeline of tremendous talent coming. So I feel very good about our ability to kind of make a polar shift in terms of the previous direction that this was going to start moving the needle the other way. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the museum. You got a couple of exciting endeavors. I've been many, I've probably been eight times, uh, visited the museum, uh, love it every single time. Uh, got a personal tour from you at one point, which was just fantastic. But let's, uh, uh, you got a couple of endeavors. One is a pretty special 100 year commemoration uh, yes. this summer, the first Negro Leagues World Series. It took place 100 years ago in 1924. The Kansas City Monarchs against the Hilldale Club, a.k.a. the Hilldale Daisies. They were based out of Darby, Pennsylvania, which is, from my understanding, suburban Pennsylvania. And it was the first time that Rube Foster's winners of the Negro National League took on the new rival league counterpart, the Eastern Colored League's champion, which happened to be the Hilldale Club. And they meet in 1924 for the very first Negro League World Series. And we're very proud of the fact that our Kansas City Monarchs captured that first crown, becoming Kansas City's first major professional sports team champion of any kind in 1924. And this city has had really a long-standing run of great professional champions in various sports, but it really all began in 1924 with the, the Negro League's Kansas City Monarchs capturing that initial crown. And so we're putting together a rest of the year celebration, a series of events, a brand new exhibit that we're creating dedicated to the history of the Kansas City Monarchs. Very, we could have done an entire museum on the Monarchs. Their history is that story storied and and that expansive. But we wanted to make sure that people understood that we were a national museum. And so we didn't want to focus solely on the monarchs. But this new exhibit that will open in our changing gallery in May of this year will take a kind of a retrospective look back at the history of the Kansas City Monarchs, one of the greatest baseball franchises, not in black baseball history, but in baseball history. And as you well know, on that 1924 team was a guy from Oklahoma who was as good as anybody to ever put on a baseball uniform, and that would be the great Wilbur Bullet Rogan. And ever since that phenom by the name of Shohei Atani arrived on the scene, I've been getting asked constantly about the great two-way stars of the Negro Leagues. And there were many, primarily, Barry, because the Negro League roster sizes weren't as large oh, as yeah, maybe baseball's roster. Mm -hmm. and, and so you weren't going to have four or five-man dedicated pitching rotation. So you needed versatility. So this was more out of default than anything. But most of the pitchers in the Negro Leagues, they were going to play other positions. But Bullet Rogan, who, in my own opinion, was one of the two first superstars of the Negro Leagues when they were established in 1920, the other being the great Oscar Charleston, 
who of course is in center field on the field of legends here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He and Bullet Rogan were the first two superstars of the Negro Leagues. And Bullet Rogan, who is in the National Baseball Hall of Fame as a pitcher, but as you know, when he wasn't pitching, he played the outfield and hit cleanup for the Kansas City Monarch. Now, first and foremost, you don't just hit cleanup for the Kansas City Monarch. And in the words of Satchel Page, invented Satchel Page vernacular, Bullet Rogan is the onlyest ball player I ever saw who pitched and hit in the cleanup position. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was at the Oak, the Daily Oklahoma in only two or three years. I think it was 1994. And I had decided to do a summer project and pick an all-time Oklahoma baseball team. And on a whim, I thought, I really need to look into the, the Negro League's history and see. And uh, I went through uh, several books. I now own 10 books about the Negro Leagues and the integration of baseball. But I really, I found a few guys, Newt Joseph and a few yep. others that were pretty yep. prominent guys. But I, uh, nothing really stood out. And then I came across, I found a historian that said, hey, let me tell you, Joe Rogan was from Oklahoma City. I said, what? And we looked it up, and the, his, his, his history is a little cloudy. We're not, not for sure exactly when he moved from Oklahoma City to Kansas City. But uh, in, I think it was 1998, I was privileged. I got to go visit in his home, Bullet Joe's son. Um, yeah. He was a retired mail carrier in the suburban Kansas City. We had a great visit. So Bullet Joe has always been a favorite of mine. And this is, uh, yeah, the, the commemoration of the 1924 uh, Negro League World Series is going to, is just, it's a wonderful thing. Of course, that's not all you got going. You know, we're talking about 100 years of history, but you guys are also in the modern age. You were telling me off, uh, off camera about uh, something that's blown your mind in recent, uh, in recent days is your association. You're now in the video game business. Man, we are in the video game business, and let me tell you, we came in the video game business in a big way. Last year was the first time ever that the Negro Leagues had been included in the video game MLB The Show, the biggest video baseball game out there. And it was overwhelmingly received. We introduced eight players in the game through a mode called Storylines. And what's even more spectacular, Barry, is that I'm in the video game. Now, who would have <laughs> ever thought, yeah, who would have ever thought that I would be in a video game? I saw myself doing a lot of things, but being in a video game is not one of them. And so in the video game, I'm telling stories, the backstories about the players that we introduced oh. in the game. Fantastic. I knew at least I had a great hunch that the gamers would love these players. I mean, what's not to love about Satchel Paige? And, uh, cool Papa Bell. Yeah, these legendary stars, because the way they played the game was video game mess. So if right. anyone deserves to be in the video game, Satchel Paige deserves to be in there. So I knew they would love these players. But I have been tremendously pleased at how they've gravitated to the stories that I'm sharing about, not only the players, but other attributes of the Negro Leagues. And man, this thing has been so tremendously well-received. Barry, we're talking about millions of young folks and young adults who are not only learning about the Negro Leagues, but they're falling in love with the Negro Leagues through all things a video game. 
And I think I was probably, not a not probably, I was a little naive about how big the gaming platform yeah, that's really true. is because I hadn't played a video game in forever. And, and so it is huge. And we've seen this, we've seen the impact and felt the impact in virtually every aspect of our business as people are now learning about the Negro Leagues and the museum through this video game all summer long. Man, I welcome scores of young people and their parents to the museum because their children saw the museum in a video game, and then they wanted to meet the guy who was telling the story <laughs> in the video game. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. You know, one thing one thing you've done in recent years, I thought as a historian, I just thought it was one of the coolest things I ever saw. You, you helped spearhead the cooperational effort of uh, baseballreference.com, yeah. which has sort of become the Bible of baseball. And baseballreference.com in recent years has added to its official record the statistics from the Negro Leagues. And I just thought that was a phenomenal step for the Negro Leagues, who were every bit as major league as the, uh, as, as the white baseball. Absolutely. Uh, you know, white baseball was segregated too. It's only white guys. So, uh, you know, so the inclusion of the Negro Leagues into this, into this uh, uh, literature and this database, I thought was tremendous. How have you seen that integration of the statistical record? How has that affected uh, the perception and, and the mission of, of the museum and, and what, what it's done for the history of the Negro Leagues? It has grown the interest in Negro Leagues exponentially. It really has. You know, I go back to December of 2020, Barry, when Major League Baseball first announced that it was at long last going to recognize the Negro Leagues for what we already knew it to be, a major league, and that it would start the process of integrating the statistics of the Negro Leagues into the annals of Major League Baseball history. And you're right, uh, the Negro Leagues wouldn't take a backseat to any league. You know, for me, that historical validation was significant. It was something that those players had earned in terms of that level of respect. And the statistical compilation was kind of the cherry on top. You know, because again, for baseball fans, man, baseball is this beautiful game of comparisons and statistics. And for years, the statistics have been kind of that gray area as we look at Negro Leagues. Now, you can never reduce the Negro Leagues to mere statistics. You, you just can't. It, it would be doing a disservice, but it does add a quantitative look at what the Negro Leagues were and these great players who played, and it puts them right on par with the superstars of the major leagues. And it has absolutely heightened the interest in the subject matter, which naturally heightens the interest in this museum as the premier caretaker uh, of this history. And so we're excited about this evolution that we're seeing across, this, across all spectrums as it relates to the Negro Leagues. And, you know, I hope that the work that we've done over the last three decades plus here at this museum has helped drive these kinds of initiatives. And now we are able to reap some of the benefits of what we've been doing for the last three decades. And so 
as we look at continuing to grow this great institution. And as you may be aware, we announced plans last May to build a brand new 30 plus thousand square foot standalone Negro Leagues Baseball Museum here in the historic 18th and Vine Jazz District, just right around the corner from where we operate now. We'll build a new facility adjacent to the former Purcell YMCA, which is being converted into the Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center as we speak. That renovation work is going on right now. We'll build a new facility attached to that historic landmark where it all started, where Rube Foster led the meeting to establish the Negro Leagues in 1920 and create what I call the nation's first Negro Leagues campus as the gateway into historic 18th and Vine and creating an international headquarters for both black baseball and social history. So all of this, I think, has put us in a position where we now, as I like to say, can dream out loud about the growth and sustainability of this great museum. One thing I love about the museum and uh, a variety of the endeavors uh, that the museum takes on is not just its preservation of the history, but its discovery of the history. Yeah. The, one of the sad things about the Negro League's history is that some of it is still uncovered. Yeah. Um, we have not, we've not cultivated all the information that might be out there. What is your sense about how much more information and stories and statistics, photographs, whatever it might be, What's your sense of how much is still out there? No, I, I think there's still an overwhelming amount of stuff out there, even though so much of this stuff was lost to time. Now, I tip my cap to all the historians who have pulled together, again, this quantifiable data that will be used for the statistical compilation. They've done a tremendous job. There's still more work left out there. You know, I go back and I look at the work that Pete Gordon has done with the Donaldson Network where they took upon themselves to go back and look at one singular player, the great John Donaldson, one of the great left-handed pitchers of all time. From, uh, from mid-Missouri, John Donaldson was Satchel Paige. John Donaldson was Satchel Paige's idol. So that gives you an idea how great John Donaldson was. And Pete Gordon and his team of researchers have dedicated the last two decades of unearthing information on John Donaldson. And they have come up with just a bevy of remarkable feats and statistics. But Barry, they're still coming up with it. And this is 20 years later. So you know that there's still stuff out there to be done. There are still artifacts out there sitting somewhere where we would love to have them. And every time we uncover a new artifact, there's a new story to be shared. So no, there's still plenty out there left. And the statistics will paint a picture. Will they be 100% accurate in terms of including all the numbers? Probably not. And that's not a slight. That's just the challenges that are there uh, for the work that these historians have so boldly taken upon themselves to get done to put us in this position. 
What, let me ask you, uh, Bob, the, uh, the evolution of the museum, I've seen its status rise and rise and rise mm -hmm. within the culture of baseball. Um, where would you say the, the, the museum is today in terms of, of where uh, mainstream baseball looks at it and, and how it views your, your jewel there uh, at 18th and Vine? I'm so excited because the interest in this subject matter in this museum just continues to evolve and continues to grow. And I think back to my dear friend, Buck O'Neill, who was the founder of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, as you know, a legendary Negro Leaguer, and our most recent inductee into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Old Buck finally got in in 2022, 16 years after he missed by one single vote. And of course, that was in 2006. And he passed away later that year at age 94 a month shy of his 95th birthday. When I met him for the very first time in 1993, as I was starting to volunteer for the museum, one of the first questions that I posed to him then was, what motivated you to want to build a Negro League Baseball Museum? And Barry, his answer was succinct, but also very poignant, so that we would be remembered. And man, they are being remembered and celebrated in ways that I'm not sure Buck would have ever dreamt. And that makes me so proud because this museum has been doing this now. We established it in 1990. So it is in its 34th year of operations. And when we started this project way back when, no one gave it any chance of succeeding. You know, the general consensus was, who cares about this history? But we stayed steadfast. And that leadership of Buck was primarily the reason that we stayed steadfast in knowing and understanding that we didn't buy into that who cared about this because we always believed that people wanted to know. I don't think there was a time people didn't want to know about the history of the Negro Leagues. They just had no way to learn about the history of the Negro Leagues. And then this, this museum emerged, and we've been certainly working diligently to drive and heighten that interest. And I think that is why you're seeing some of these things transpire that we're seeing now in and around the celebratory nature of what we're seeing mainstreamly about Negro Leagues, you know, documentaries like The League. That's a mainstream film done, of course, by Oscar award-winning producer uh, Quest Love from The Roots and the video game. So slowly but surely, Negro Leagues is getting a mainstream voice for the very first time. And that is what leads me to cling to the belief that at some point in time, there will be a TV series done on the Negro League. It has to happen. A dramatic TV series, because as I tell my guests all the time, you don't even have to fictionalize the Negro League to make it entertaining, man. Just tell the real story. It's entertaining in its own right. And these stories, y'all, are jumping off the walls. We're just waiting for a great writer to show up here. And Barry, I sure hope they make old Bob the executive producer, man. <laughs> I hope they make him the executive producer. <laughs> well, listen, Bob Kendrick, you've got my vote. Uh, I, I endorse, I endorse that uh, 
that title. Hey, this has been great, man, Bob. Uh, love chatting baseball with you. Kansas City, the museum, the history of the Negro Leagues. It's always a pleasure. It's always a joy. And can't wait to see you. I'll be there uh, at Bricktown Ballpark when you're uh, with for your functions here in a week or so. Hey, man, I am looking forward to seeing you. Thank you for all you do to keep advocating for the history of the Negro Leagues and this museum. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Oklahoma City. I hope that I'll see you here for the Big 12 basketball tournament again. And uh, But thank you for having me on the show. That's all the time we've got this week, but we have all kinds of great content at selloutcrowd.com. And you can find all of my columns, videos, and podcasts there at barrytrammell.com and selloutcrowd.com. And if you want our content at your fingertips, we've got you covered. We have a new app. It's available for iPhone and Android. Download it today. If this happens to be your first time hearing or watching us, be sure to subscribe to our show on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave a review. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.